You're listening to the Fitness Matters Podcast with Paula B. And this is episode number 266. The Paula B. Book Club reads the wisdom of your body. Welcome to the Fitness Matters Podcast, where every week we talk about the fitness matters that matter to you. I'm Paula B., YouTuber, certified life and weight loss coach, soon to be author, and your best middle-aged fitness friend. Are you ready to talk about the fitness mindset that matters to you? Me too. Let's go. Hello, hello, my friends. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Welcome to today's episode, which is the last of its kind for the year 2022. And I mean, we're winding down this year, which means that next week is truly the last of its kind. But this week I have something special for you. This is a replay of the Paula B. Wellness Over 50 Book Club in partnership with Terp Audiobooks, talking about the book, The Wisdom of Your Body by Hilary McBride. This was a super fun and dare I say it feisty conversation about a very interesting book. Now, for my friends who don't know, Chirp is an audiobook retailer that offers all kinds of books for steep, limited time discounts. And this particular book was a different kind of self-help book than the kinds that we have read before. And I really enjoyed the great conversation that I had with my friends. So listen and enjoy the replay and I will see you guys later. All right, you guys. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the book club. I am very excited as I always am. I told you my podcast voice was coming. I'm very excited as I always am to have a conversation with you about a book that we have all at least partially read. Apparently I'm reading the chat. Some of us didn't quite finish it. I was actually just telling the audience before I started the podcast that I just finished the book this morning, about two hours ago. So I, I'm grateful for that because I had a little bit of time to kind of process it before just, you know, turning it off and then coming and talking about it. I do find that a little bit of processing time does help me. We read The Wisdom of the Body or Your Body, The Wisdom of Your Body by Hillary McBride. And I would like to start this conversation by reminding everybody that I don't read these books before I put them out as a book club book. There has been one book in all of the, however many of them we have read at this point that I read beforehand and actually recommended. And that was the very first one. That was the Menopause Manifesto by Dr. Jen Gunter. I loved that book. I read that one before I suggested it to anybody before the book club was, before the book club was even really a book club, honestly. And so I do like to remind you because I often get into these books and I'm a little surprised by them. I'm like, oh, I didn't know we were going there (laughs) with this book. So I did not recommend this book like, oh, I loved it. You should read it because it's everything that I believe in. I recommended it as, hey, let's all read this together and let's see what you like, what you don't like, what challenged you, what didn't challenge you. I definitely found parts of this book to be more challenging. That is a question I'm going to ask you all later, but I am curious because of course, I just want to start off with the big broad question. Did you like it? I mean, yes or no. It's kind of a simple question. There's of course, always nuances to it. And I do want to let you know, I mean, especially for people listening to the podcast later, if you would like to simply chime in, you are welcome to just unmute and talk. We are not a huge group this morning. And I, this is the book club. 
come and tell me your opinions. You don't just have to write in the chat. You're welcome to talk as well. Uh, Marianne said, not finished, liking it so far. Lori says, yes and no, with a question mark. <laughs> Felt the same way. Trisha says she's not done yet. Sarah said she didn't quite finish it. And Julie said that she had finished it so long ago, she doesn't remember. Um, oh, and you found notes on your phone that, yes, you liked it. Okay, good. So it did jog your memory. <laughs> I found lots. I found lots to both like and disagree with about this book. In fact, I found a lot to disagree with. I often do. I I realized actually that I read a lot of self-help books in a very contrarian way that I am not reading a self-help book like, oh, tell me how to feel better. I, I want to know everything you have to say. I'm reading it like, is there some like one little thing that I can pull out of here that I can fold into what I already consider a very robust feeling of my own self-help. I mean, I, I am a self-help teacher. I feel like I have, I feel like I have a relatively complete system. And so therefore I'm not reading a book to be like, oh, I want this entire book to resonate with me in its entirety. I wanted to pull one thing out. And sometimes, I mean, on a really good book, I'll pull two or three. So I didn't come to the book thinking I have to like everything. And I didn't. <laughs> often don't. <laughs> but I also didn't find that problematic. I like the fact that I felt challenged. I liked the fact that I didn't agree with uh, broad swaths of it. I liked the fact that it wasn't just a recitation of everything that I already think. So, so I didn't agree with it, but that didn't mean that I didn't like it. There were definitely nuggets for me to to pull out. And I'm assuming, I mean, Julie also says I loved it for specific parts of it. Amy says I liked some of it. Exactly. I think, I mean, I think at this point in your like self-help, self-discovery journey, do you kind of read self-help books the way that I do, where you're not trying to look to agree with the entire thing? You're not looking for an entirety of a philosophy. You really are just looking for, is there you know, a little bit that I resonate with? Is there something that I can fold into my life rather than do I agree with the entire thing? I see some of you nodding, but of course that doesn't translate to the podcast. <laughs> Julie says, I'm looking for tell me something I don't know. Oh, very interesting. I'm not sure if that's how I approach it. That sounds so open and curious, and I'm not sure if I come to it with that much curiosity, <laughs> interestingly. <laughs> Lori, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that um, I I come to them now with, um, I just don't want to hear what you say better. <laughs> so, oh, you know, like, so I liked this because it was a different perspective and it had some some nuances to it that were that were different from what you tell us all the time. and. Sorry, not to, you know, like be all fangirly, but I think you're better at a lot of this, a, a lot of this language, <laughs> you, you know, so, so when, when it's just a recitation of the same stuff that you have already taught us, then I'm, then I'm spend the entire time going, well, yeah. And also not as, not as well said as Paula would put it. So, um, so that's why I kind of, I like that part of it, um, you know, and then, but then also. I found myself in this one and in a few of the others, but in this one really responding like strongly to other parts of it and being like, why is this in this book? And 
why, you know, and also why did the publisher not like actually tell us what this book was? Um, We're so going to get into that. <laughs> We're so going to get into that because I, so, okay, then I'll, I'll back. So that's, that's basically where I was. Yeah. That's interesting. I love it. Sarah says, I think I start off thinking that I will disagree with it. Sarah, you and I are like the same person in different bodies so often. And this is definitely one of those times because I, I absolutely, this is kind of what I was saying about, I'm glad I had a couple of hours to, to assimilate it before just hopping on here and being like, everything about that was crap. Cause, because everything about that was not crap. There were definitely parts I disagreed with as I frequently do and coming to it, like, how can I be open? Like, was there just parts of this that challenged me that I can then really open up to because it's, I mean, as I often tell you guys, the reason something feels challenging is because it's different than you already think. Your brain rejects something that is so new that it just automatically wants to disagree. So I do frequently have to remind myself to be open and really listen for why I'm disagreeing as opposed to rejecting something out of hand. Um, Trisha says, I'm further along than I thought, halfway done. I thought chapter four on how we see our body from the outside. Um, I'm thinking about my body inside and out differently. I agree. Me too. Um, um, Amy says, I liked one thing in the book. Oh, I'm curious about that. Only one thing, <laughs> but I liked one thing in the book, the idea of I am my, vo- my body versus the Cartesian view of I am my mind. I I had a lot to to say about that really specifically also that I thought it was very interesting the way she pulled it apart. And I'm going to, I'm going to actually express that a little bit later because I really wanted to get to just more of a general right now. And then we'll, we'll really dig into the nitty gritty. Sally says, I didn't get beyond the preview sample, <gasps> decided that it wasn't worth the full price and couldn't find a discount way to buy. I love it. <laughs> I'm so curious now what the discount sample was. What part of the book was it that you were like, nope, not gonna. <laughs> so fun. Julie, how did you feel about it? I, I actually liked uh, quite a bit of it, um, but it wasn't like her in general, but I like the fact that she broke it into the different categories like embodied and disembodied. I like that kind of concept. Mm-hmm. I really liked her description of the, of each um, feeling because it, it was more of a, I want to say a positive or why is our bodies, why do our bodies use anger? For example, mm-hmm. there's a biological reason for it. And so I actually copied all of that out because I think of anger as negative. So it kind of challenged my own concept of anger and my own concept of fear. And it opened my mind up about those feelings. So I took things out of it that I really liked and I left the rest. Yes. (laughs) Which I mean, truly is, is what I always encourage with, with anything. And so I do love that all of us, uh, it appears came to the book looking for let me just find what I can agree with and and put into my own practice versus mm-hmm. uh, versus what is the answer as though there is such a thing. I love it. There was another there was another part where she said, you know, this is my body, um, my body and my body, my body and my mind can be friends, and I've been thinking about that already. And so again, it was like, oh, I want to make friends with my body. She's giving me that more meat about that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from a ther- therapist point of view, I would say. Yeah. So I think her, her viewpoint was very therapeutic and oh, yeah. very different than what we do here. 
And I could appreciate that having gone through some very painful things in my life. I can understand the importance of therapy. Kind of like to jar you out of it. But the real practice that we do is like that ongoing, everyday thought process and feeling process. So it's the concepts I got out of it. And then, like I said, the rest, I just. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Going, and I'm going to actually, I'm, I have I have a list of questions. And we're definitely going to talk about exactly what everybody pulled out of it. Um, oh, Sarah, of course, because this is the next question that I'm going to ask. Did you read via book or did you, um, did you listen? I only listened. Um, I, I mean, our book club is in partnership with Chirp Audiobooks. And so I do get the book from Chirp Audiobooks. I listen to it on audio. There have been a few at least that I wanted to both read and listen to because, well, really specifically the one that I'm thinking of, um, How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. That one, I, I had to see it visually. I heard what she was saying, but that one was very much, I needed to read it. Um, Menopause, uh, yeah, Menopause Manifesto, I both read and listened to. Um, I feel like there was at least one other one that I read and listened to. This one was just listen. And Sarah's comment, I don't think I actually read the entire thing. He said um, that I, I also had to get past the reader's vocal fry. <laughs> that was too much in my opinion, which I think is very interesting. That really does change, in my opinion, the, the perception of the book. When, what was it Bob Litwin's book that we all kind of were like, oh my God, that man reading it was so condescending. Like just the, the narrator really influenced how I felt about that book. And I agreed with all of the concepts in that book. That was one of the most agreeable books that I had read for the book club. But, but that narrator was hard to get past. I felt like this narrator was Fine. Trisha says she listened. Lori said only listened. Julie did both. Interesting. Amy says I listened at 1.3. <laughs> so not sure what her voice actually sounds like. I will tell you again, I finished it just a couple of hours ago. By the time I was getting through the last like two or three chapters, I was listening on 1.7. <laughs> so, so it was very high pitched. <laughs> And I will tell you that one of the things, um, Julie says paperback this time um, and listened faster than normal, a full man's plane. Yeah, that coming back to the, the Bob Litwin one. Um, Julie says, I like the written version better. And, you know, I do, I do wonder because, again, I found plenty of things to disagree with in this book. I do wonder how I would have perceived it in written form versus audio form. This is something I always wonder about when you take something in the first time as one sort of perception, because of course, reading, I'm going to hear it in my own voice versus listening. I hear it in the narrator's voice and I do have opinions. I mean, intentional and unintentional. I have opinions about the voice and what it means. I mean, this is what our brains do. They make meaning. <laughs> Sally says the untethered soul was bossy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, and Sarah says, I'm not an audiobook person, but I knew I wouldn't get through most of it uh, if I read it instead of listening. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, yeah, sounds like chipmunks when you listen to it on 1.7. Well, and I will tell you that I thought the narrator was fine. I didn't, I didn't have any like specific problem with the narrator. It always is interesting to me to listen to a book that has so much personal experience, and you know that the narrator isn't the author. I mean, this was a narrator. It was not the author. And I, I find that 
sometimes a little bit disconcerting. This one also, I I will tell you that the only problem that I had with the narrator on this one was when she tried to make different voices when she was doing a direct quote from like friends or other people. I didn't care for that. It sounded so odd to me that it took me way out of the listening experience. And I was just like, please just read in your normal voice. (laughs) I didn't, that's cringy. Exactly. That was, that was pretty much how I felt about it too. Especially, I mean, not maybe not especially. Several of the voices that she was, in my opinion, trying to imitate were male voices And as a woman trying to imitate like a more male sounding voice, it just, it sounded, it, I'm going to use the word disrespectful and that sounds so much stronger than I mean it to, but it just didn't sound quite right. And I didn't care for that particular part of the narration. I found the rest of it to be completely fine. I didn't think that, um, what was the book where the woman was definitely trying to be overly soothing? with her reading voice. I cannot remember which one it was. There was one though that I was just like, can you just read? Can you just read in like a voice? (laughs) So I do, I do actually have lots of opinions about narration and it does definitely color my opinion of the book itself. Um, Excuse me. And taking us out of this conversation just super, super quickly. I actually just found out that the audio rights to my book have been sold. So there will be an audio version of my book. I'm very excited about this. I actually thought, I actually already thought there was going to be an audio version. So I've been telling people, oh yeah, there'll be an audio version. No, apparently those rights had to be sold separately and they just were. So yay. And I do get to audition to be the narrator. It is not guaranteed. I have to audition for it. So I will be auditioning um, sometime in like the next couple of weeks. So fingers crossed. Because I really, I want people to dislike my book because they dislike me, not because of the narrator. (laughs) So you guys, so let's get into a a schmaudition. I love it. I totally agree. I, I tell you what, I'm thinking, thinking about making my own version anyways, whether or not I get to actually do it just for, just for friends and family, just so you can hear me read it. But here's here's what I would consider another like big picture question about the wisdom of your body. Did you find the book to be helpful? Like overall, like aside from whether or not you liked it or didn't like it, it being a self-help book, its intention is to be helpful to you. And I'm wondering, again, aside from did you like it or not like it, did you find it to be helpful? And if so, how exactly, if you don't mind sharing? Julie says, nope, because until my notes, I totally forgot I read it. <laughs> oh, so funny. And Lori says, mildly, damning with faint praise. <laughs> so interesting. I personally found this book to be rather long on setting up the problem and rather short on offering a solution. And, and that, to me, made the book feel less helpful than some of the other ones. Having said that though, her setup of the problem definitely sparked lots of thoughts for me about, is this actually a problem? Do I even agree with your problem? Not necessarily do I agree with your solution, but do I even agree that what you're saying is a problem that needs a solution? So 
I didn't find it helpful in the way that I think the book was meant to be helpful. I did find it helpful in that I had lots of thoughts about it that helped me kind of clarify my position on certain concepts and ideas. Um, Amy says, I didn't find it offered anything new and was too philosophical. I kind of agree with that also that there was, again, a lot of like, here's the problem. And just kind of leaving it to you, like, yeah, here's the problem. So therefore, it was sort of philosophical in that it was just a, I guess, a um, a consideration of what is. Um, and Sally, or Sarah, excuse me, says, I thought some parts were validating about dealing with how feelings feel in the body. Totally agree with that one. Um, Sally says, I am here hoping to hear <laughs> the helpful or new bits. <laughs> I love it. Well, I tell you what, Sally, I don't know that you're going to get that from me. I'm hoping somebody else has something to say about what was very helpful about it. I I did not find I did not find any of her practical solutions to be solutions. Um really specific. Okay, really specifically. Here, let me tell you what I found to be the thing that I disagreed with about this book. I came to this book, I guess, assuming, I, I yeah, um, I assumed, I assumed because of my own perspective that what she was going to say was that the problem is that we subjugate our bodies to our brains. And her perceived solution is basically to subjugate the brain to the body i.e. do things to feel better. I think you all know, if you have ever heard me talk, that that is not how things go. So therefore, I disagreed with essentially her entire premise. I came to the book hoping for something a little bit more like what I talk about, which is to say that your brain and your body function together. They're supposed to function together. And that the solution is to not subjugate one to the other in either way, that them working together is the most holistic solution. The the specific, I think the it was either the description or possibly even the subtitle of the book is was something about holistic. And so therefore that's what I thought. I thought we were going to talk about mind-body connection the entire time, as opposed to no, you are not just a brain. It was much more of not just your body, but I mean, when she really blatantly said your brain lies to you oh sorry you just said that because I disagree I could not possibly disagree more so so yes I did not find her helpful bits to be as helpful as I was hoping for because essentially all of her helpful things were go do things so you can feel better um, Lori says, I thought it was very clear on inhabit your body, but wasn't sure that the rest of it fit with that. Well, that is very interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on how, how her advice didn't seem to support the premise of inhabiting your body. Interesting. And Amy says it was written like an academic paper. I, I do think that could be, I mean, I do think that's how she approached it. I do think that she came at it like I'm going to teach you something and I have the authority or the, uh, you know, the expertise rather to teach you something. I definitely read it like that as well. 
Um, Julie says, in the written form, there are sections with practical ways to get in touch with your body. Yeah, those, that was in the audio also. Um, and, and again, it was do stuff to get in touch with your body, which I, I don't entirely disagree with, but it's not the answer that I offer. Um, and Barbara Lee says, nope, didn't really give much in, in, of solutions. Uh, science was interesting, but I'm not sure I believe it all. I agree, especially when she started talking about primary emotions. <laughs> like, oops, that's been debunked. <laughs> oops. <laughs> um, and Sarah says, I was definitely interested in the science section. Um, and Sally says, lots of you are only in your body in the preview sample. Oh, interesting. So yeah, again, I'm, I'm actually, I'm so curious now about listening to that preview section. And I can see Sally, <laughs> you probably were like, no, this is not the book for me. I, I can understand that. I think, I think having, I mean, I know you, knowing you as I do, I don't know. Well, knowing you as I do, Sally, I think you would have found something in the book as we all did. I think everybody who read it found something to be interesting, helpful, practical, uh, fun to argue with, et cetera. <laughs> Tricia, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think that every time we do one of these books or probably anything that I read that's in this world, I layer your teachings right on top of it. And so I make it fit uh, on there when I hear it, you know, and I, what I liked at the, um, I actually kind of even liked her first story where she talked about being in the therapist chair mm -hmm. or be in the office and getting therapy. And um, for me, what it connected was um, she was talking about her body language, but because of how we think, how we show up. And I was thinking about that chain of how it does produce our actions mm -hmm. and almost noticing your actions noticing what you're doing with your body and how you could reverse engineer that. So I think that's where I was thinking. So I just, I, I automatically assume, Oh, here's a concept. Let's apply it to what we do. Exactly. And, <laughs> and even the, the trauma I would, cause I was listening to it this week at work and um, the one where she was talking about trauma responses and stuff. And I'm not quite as I've experienced things, but I'm not quite as familiar with what the, how things kind of work or could possibly work. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was also a little bit interesting. It just gave me, I felt like I built awareness. I don't know that I learned a process of what to do or to solve anything or, you know, steps, but I gained some awareness. And I think that's what I got from the, the book. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I, if you've ever heard me talk about this, that is often our entire premise like that is what we come to this work for is awareness as opposed to necessarily finding a solution or feeling better so I'm really glad that you brought that up because I hadn't quite thought about it that way I was really looking for a tell me what to do and then I disagreed with everything she told me what to do <laughs> because her answer for a lot of things seemed to be go dance and I'm like oh that doesn't really apply to me it's too bad because <laughs> I mean it, it it kind of ruled me out from wanting to feel better if that's my only solution. <laughs> Lori, go ahead. So you asked me about um, what, what it was that I was finding at, at yeah. you know, conflict. So, you know, and I, and I come to this as, as someone with fairly liberal points of view and, oh, sure. and whatever. So 
I should have been really in on on this, but it 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 seemed really odd to me that she spent an, a very large amount of time. It seemed talking about bodies that don't feel comfortable in majority spaces, right? Like, so she talked, you know, she talked a lot about uh, people of color and she talked a lot about sexuality, et cetera. And that would be an interesting book in a different context. But for me, what it was basically saying to me was, and therefore you with your majority body, you should feel ashamed of existing and you should feel uncomfortable in those spaces and be more open to letting other people into those spaces. Again, all things I actually agree with, but in this book, it basically was saying to me, don't be ashamed of your body. Don't be ashamed of who you are, except you should totally be ashamed of who you are and you need to step back and away. Um, and so I heard I a lot of, a lot of like trouble that with also. that. I, I heard a lot of it like that it, it, in a little bit broader sense, not necessarily from those chapters. That was actually, uh, I will tell you that those chapters were the most challenging for me also. And it's something that I don't feel like I have thought enough about to articulate fully. I, it's definitely something I want to come back to and spend a little bit more time with because there was, there was definitely reaction as opposed to thinking and consideration. And I'd like to think and consider versus react to a lot of the things that she was talking about. I agree with the way you heard a lot of her tone this was probably my biggest problem with the book in general was it uh, she i felt spoke out of both sides of her mouth with i'm not blaming anybody except that i'm totally blaming the patriarchy and systems and men and white people and like like okay but you are blaming <laughs> you are like like it got a little uncomfortable sometimes with the blaming in my opinion because again my opinion and and my opinion was informed in the first i think it was the second chapter when she informed me in no uncertain terms that i as a member of the diet and weight loss industry am racist i am fat phobic and i make people feel bad about their bodies i had a really hard time with that i put the book down for a week and a half after i read that part i was just like oh oh I'm just, I'm going to read this later. <laughs> I'm going gonna to put this down and I'm going to hear what you're saying. And I'm also going to filter what you're saying through the lens of, I disagree that people make people think things, feel things, do things. And that to me really was a, a, the whole premise of the book was you do things and feel things because systems, people, and things outside of you have made you think and feel this. I I struggled I struggled with the message like the way that message was presented and yet again like you said I agreed with a lot of like the overarching premise of it which is to say we can if we desire open ourselves up to other perspectives we can if we desire open ourselves up to paying more attention than is given in you know broad society to other you know other in, in in big air quotes bodies that that opening ourselves up to experiences that are outside of what we would be 
normally, naturally, and without thinking and without intention, only exposed to, I do find that to be helpful. I do find that concept to be helpful, that that listening to all kinds of voices and thinking about all kinds of bodies, I do think that that is, I'm not going to say innately good for all people. It is simply something I desire for myself. I don't agree that it is good for all people because I don't agree that anything is. I do think that all people get to decide for themselves what they would like to experience intentionally or unintentionally. Most of us in the world only experience things somewhat unintentionally. You know, we we live our lives, we hear what we hear, we take in what our parents have told us, we take in society and messages and TV and magazines. And it really is the intentional desire to live and think differently that leads you to expose yourself to differences. And I don't think everybody wants to live intentionally. I I don't think that's fair for me to say that living intentionally is the best way or the only way or the way that you should. I think it's the best for me. It is what I share with you. I love telling you how to be intentional. I love opening up your ideas to the world in a way that you can be intentional with what you want, but I don't necessarily think that that's what everybody wants. And I don't think it's my place to tell you what you should want. Um, Julie says, so funny because the diet industry stuff, I was like, are you the pot or the kettle here? (laughs) I felt like that for some of it too. It's like, I don't, I don't think anybody should tell you what to think except me. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what to think, (laughs) which is to be fair, this is something I struggle with also. I try really hard to stand right on this line of being, I'm going to offer you something incredibly prescriptive and specific. And also, by the way, you can make it yours. Please do, because I'm not right. You are. Like, it is It is difficult to be in the self-help space and really walk on that line of, I know better than you, but I absolutely don't know better than you. I know some things, but I don't know everything. I know how to tell you how to do such and such, but I it's not necessarily how you're going to do such and such. Like, like there is a lot of push and pull there. And having just gone through the final edits of my book, where my editor really took out so much of my language that was very... Well, kind of, well, sort of, well, you can figure this out. Well, here you go and make it your own and things like that, where she was like, we are, we are being more authoritative a more ex coming from more of a, a place of expertise. And it, to me, changed the tone of my book also. And I do think that that is, I think that that is how books read in so, so many ways. I do think that we put out books to tell people what to do, even if we're telling people to figure it out for themselves. <laughs> uh, Barbara says, I'm curious about your thoughts on the generational trauma. Boy, do I have lots of them. And I will tell you that that was also a very challenging section for me. I, I don't feel like I know enough to speak to that with any level of anything other than I've read a couple of things. And I, I gotta be honest, I'm going to leave it there. I don't want to agree or disagree. I would, I would prefer to say that this is not the first time I've heard of it. 
I felt like it was presented as fact in a way that I don't know that we scientifically are in a position to present something as fact quite like that. And, and for me personally, that was, I mean, again, one of the parts that was very challenging and also one of the parts where I thought to myself, I am very curious about this. And this is something I'm going to kind of tuck away and do a little bit more thinking and some more actual reading. Like I, in situations like that, I definitely prefer to go to the source. I prefer to read the primary research as opposed to reading what I consider basically third-hand information in a book. I, I don't know whether or not the author, because she didn't explicitly state, I don't know whether or not she has read the primary sources or if she has read, you know, uh, gosh, I can't come up with the word. I'm going to say synopsis because that's the closest thing that my brain is offering me right now. I don't know whether or not she has been involved in the actual research. I don't know if she read the actual research or if she has, like the rest of us, read an article on the internet and thought, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to take that in as fact. So um, Amy says there is some decent science supporting the idea of generational trauma. I think it is useful to people in how you can use it to inform what you choose to do with what you have in the present. And and I do think that that is the way I am taking it in for myself right now. This is interesting. I don't know if it's like truth, fact, hard, you know, carved in stone kind of a thing, but it is interesting as a concept and worthy, therefore, of consideration, if not turning, you know, all of the things that I say towards this direction. Julie, go ahead. I thought one particular scene was really interesting because it almost validated what I learned from you and not what I learned from her, <laughs> um, where she was getting ready to present at a conference and she was really nervous and she couldn't settle her mind. So she pulled all of her tricks out of her bag of therapeutic ways in which to get herself settled. And then she went for a walk and she settled down and she started to focus on her thoughts and then she came to what was really happening for her. Yes. And then she settled with the calm Hillary and the fearful Hillary. That the calm Hillary would help the fearful Hillary along the way. So she let go of all the stuff that she was purporting to say that was working for her. And she came back to a more simpler approach. And she found a way, like the light bulb went off. Mm -hmm. And the new thought came. And she settled down. So like things like that, that really, you know, her, I wish she would have put more examples of whatever she was saying because she talked a lot. Oh, that's interesting. I feel like there was a lot of examples. Do you have an Not example enough, or you would have liked an example? <laughs> well, I think that she was starting to talk about anorexia at the beginning and mm -hmm. that she really didn't have other examples except for herself. Because that's where I thought she was going. I thought she was going to really focus a little bit more on what I thought her topic was going to be, which is how people deal with really difficult body image issues. Mm -hmm. And um, she kept saying at the beginning, I thought, I'm going to give you these examples and then I'm going to break it down for you. And I didn't see it. It was kind of like intermittent. She mm -hmm. really just wanted, I felt she just wanted to talk most of the way through. She was very intellectual. Agreed. So that, 
that part didn't appeal to me, but I did like that one concept. And I like, it really did resonate with what I was learning here, but I didn't get it because of the book. I got it because of what I've learned. So that was it's funny because I read that example and it's funny because I, I read that example too. And I heard it the way you heard it. Like, Oh, finally you're listening to your thoughts. Hello. Yeah. But in, in my opinion, she really attributed her calming down to the walk and that the walk was what helped her yeah. come up with those thoughts. Again, I, I, I think the walk, like helped I, her, I think the walk helped her get out of the way. You know, really, that was all it did, right? You read it much more generously than I did. <laughs> I mean, I, I, in other words, her opinion I didn't agree with. I just saw the process that she went through that reminded me more of you, not what she said about it. Yeah, which, again, to that point, I do think it's really interesting that in that one specific example, she had the seeds to be like, hey, look at how our brains and bodies can work together. And yet again, the entire, in my opinion, the entire premise of the book was do stuff to feel better because I mean, that's what she was saying, you know, walk or, you know, shake your sillies out or do this or go dance wildly. And like, she keeps offering all the tricks and tools of things to do. And then, and then like you said, in that one example, as come to find out, (laughs) it's your thoughts that actually help. I thought that was really interesting. And I do think that, um, that brought up a point and now I can't remember what it was. I was going to ask a question based on your question. Um, I'll come back to it. Maybe it'll come back to me. Julie says, I'm glad I read it after working on mindset for over a year, not as a newbie. I could take what I wanted and leave the rest. You know, I think that's true for any book that you read. Like the first book that you read in self-help, I, it's, it can absolutely be like the thing that leads you into other things or or it can lead you to think that there is only like one answer. I, I do think because I read, gosh, I remember reading self-help books when I was a kid. Um, do you remember like the early 80s, like what color is your parachute, which wasn't necessarily help self-help. That was like a how to find a, a job sort of a book, but it was definitely like, feeling to yourself, get some self-awareness so that you don't just keep having jobs that you hate. Um, I would have been like 10 when I read this book. It didn't apply to me at all, but I do remember reading it because I'm pretty sure my mom was reading it. Um, cause early eighties, that would have been like right after my parents were divorced. So she read, um, Oh my God, Robert Schuler. Was that his name? Um, I feel like he was maybe a pastor or, uh, I think it's Reverend Robert Schuler turn your scars into stars. Is that actually a thing? I was so young. I feel like I'm making some of this up. Do you ever do that sometimes where you're like, was that actually a memory or was that something I kind of made up? I feel like there's a book with some sort of a title, like turn your scars into stars. That was a very affirmation-y, everything bad can be good. And I don't disagree with it now, but also at the time I was young and impressionable. and. I remember reading those kinds of books when I was young and just thinking that they were absolute crap. And I remember the first time I read a book, Hurts into Halo. Is that really a thing? Oh, for reals? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, 
I remember reading those. And even as a child being like, I don't understand, this doesn't make any sense to me at all. But I do think that there is, I do think that there is a bit of progression where your exposure to ideas finally gets you to a place where you can hear something for the first time. And then after that amount of exposure, you can formulate your own stuff, your own ideas, your own concepts, and then you can continue to read and pull in, like we talked about, one little thread at a time, as opposed to thinking that any one book has all of the answers. And Sally says, yes, turn your scars into stars by Robert Schuller. <laughs> so funny. I don't really recommend that one. I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's got at least one good concept that you could pull out of it. <laughs> it's also a song. So fascinating. I love it. And he legit wrote Hurts into Halos too. He was he was one of the OGs of the self-help movement for sure. I mean, because this would have been like early 80s. This was long before, I mean, anybody who's like super famous now. So interesting. I mean, you guys, these concepts have been around forever, essentially. And this is um, not what I was going to say. Um, Patricia says, so do you think the walking is a form of doing to find your thoughts? I think that anything can be a form of doing to find your thoughts if you treat it that way. I think that 99.99% of the time, solutions are offered that you do so you can feel. Like, if you look at any advertising, just so you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I, I read ads, I watch ads, I listen to ads. Every single one of them offers you, do this thing to feel this way. All of them. Advertisers want you to feel a certain way. And they're telling you that if you do this thing, for example, purchase this product, have this thing, do something, you will feel something. And I think it's really interesting when we, all of us, because our language reflects this, attribute feeling to the doing. In the way that I, I mean, I'm glad that, that Julie heard it differently because when I was reading or listening to the book, I really heard her essentially say, I went for the walk and that's why I feel better. As it happens, when she went for the walk is when she found her thoughts, but she wasn't trying to. It was unintentional that she found the thoughts that felt better. And in my opinion, she attributed the feeling better to the walk as opposed to the thoughts. So, and that was my interpretation. I, again, I was listening on 1.7 at that point. <laughs> so I probably missed a lot of what she was actually saying. <laughs> uh, Lori says, you mean skipping the find your thoughts part? Ah, yes, if only we could. But however, that is, and what she's saying to just get out of your head some. And that's such an interesting, I find that that phrase to be so interesting because this is, advice that so many people offer us. Oh, just get out of your head for a while. And the, the truth of it is that being, first of all, you can't get out of your head. But second of all, that being in your head in a way where you are not believing your thoughts or judging your thoughts or thinking that your thoughts are a problem 
that that is the way to, I mean, first of all, it's the way to self-awareness, which is eventually the path to feeling better and solving your problems. It is my assertion that self-awareness is the answer. It is the answer to any question you might have. How do I fix this? How do I do that? How do I feel better? The answer is self-awareness. Be aware of what you are thinking rather than simply believing and reacting to what you are thinking. <laughs> Sally says, nope, get deeper in your head. Yes, that is the solution. <laughs> I love it. I've spoken much more eloquently than mine. <laughs> Julie, go ahead. <laughs> So I kind of took the walk. I remember this bit because obviously I'm coloring it with my experience, that sort of thing. But I equated it kind of more like um, that she was completely unaware that like I saw it as like a stimming kind of thing. Like I know my son has to do certain things before he can even think. Mm -hmm. And so I was or hear his thoughts. So for me, that's the way I colored that. And I was like, oh, OK, well, that's her way of journaling. You know, the same way that I sit down, I grab my pen, she's walking. And so that's the way I colored it with my experience and kind of that's how I filled in that gap. And that is really interesting. And, and I do think that. I do think that the idea of. Doing something, let's say, first to prime yourself to be able to hear the thoughts is is not entirely unwarranted. I mean, especially what you're just saying in, in your experience with your son. Whereas you and I might only take that quick second of, oh, I'm grabbing my journal. Like as soon as I have my journal and my pen in hand, I have done something and my brain is primed to be able to listen to my thoughts. For me, that is so instantaneous that I think my thoughts are available to me all the time. And it is not necessarily true. And that's actually a really, really interesting and important point that the doing is not inextricable from the thinking. And I do think, again, this is where I really thought the book was going. That's what I was going to ask you guys. Because I think all of us in one way or another have expressed that we felt like the book was going to be different, but it actually was. And so I'd love to hear your opinions about what you actually expected from the book. So I will tell you what I expected from the book was much more brain body connection as opposed to body above brain. I mean, I, I don't disagree with her premise that subjugating the body to the brain is problematic. I disagree with her solution that subjugating the brain to the body is the answer. I, I personally truly believe that connecting them both and seeing both of them as having equal parts of information and helpfulness feels like the answer to me. Um, and so Barbara says maybe the, and, and I apologize, Barbara, I don't know if your last name is Lee or if that is your first name, Barbara Lee. So I keep, I keep going back and forth on which one I'm going to call you. If you want to clarify with that for me, I would like to call you by your, your correct name, but says maybe the dancing or movement is for the body. What journaling is to the mind. We need both. Okay. So I will call you Barbara. Thank you for clarifying. I, you know, this is very interesting to 
to consider this idea that that the the body and the brain work together in this way that priming the brain with the body also primes the body with the brain. I mean, they. I, I have thought about this concept before that there is no like original thought. You have thoughts that create feelings and then you have thoughts about that feelings that create more feelings that create more thoughts that create more feelings that create more thoughts that create more feelings that create more thoughts. It's a very chicken and an egg thing that chemically speaking, your thoughts create like physically create your feelings. But then because your feelings are a perception that your brain perceives and creates more thoughts about, they are inextricably linked. There is no thought without feeling. And frankly, there is no feeling without thought that they do feed off of one another. Um, And therefore, the doing is part of, or can be part of finding the thoughts. Can a body have self-awareness without the mind? That's such a good question. I wonder. I'd be surprised, which again is why I came to the book looking for a little bit more equal footing because the brain and the body are inextricably linked. I, I find it to be, gosh, that's such a good question. Can a body have self-awareness without the mind? And frankly, without making meaning of it, because that is what the mind does. So Sally says, yes, I was looking for a body-mind approach. It did say holistic. Um, So so coming back to that question, because I do feel like I went off in another direction right after I asked the question. What did you expect from the book that was different? I did not expect an an entire chapter on sex. occur to me that that was going to be that I don't know why obviously that has everything to do with the brain body connection of course it does for whatever reason I was just like oh we're going here okay interesting this is this is fascinating all right I didn't and again had I had I done possibly any actual looking at the book I did not expect it to get so religious at the end either that didn't flummox me I just was like Oh, an entire chapter. Oh, oh, we're really talking about, okay, okay. Didn't expect that to be a part of the conversation. Um, A sex chapter, maybe I should have bought it. (laughs) Exactly, Sally. And Lori says, if I paid attention to the publisher was, Lori, exactly what I thought later. I was like, oh, if I had looked at this literally at all, I would have understood from the get-go that this was intended to be a religious book. It was written, or it was published rather, by um, Christian Publishing. I mean, it's literally the title of the publisher or the name of the publishing house. So had I understood that, I would have had a different expectation of the book. I uh, Sarah says I was really surprised by the religion chapter. I Well, specifically, I was surprised by the religion chapter because of so much of the context of the rest of the book, I was expecting a little bit more of your religion is all fine as opposed to, no, this is how I see it through the Christian religion really specifically. And I was like, okay, so this is where you're getting a little bit more narrow focus where I would have preferred to see a little bit wider focus. I, 
And Amy says, I was also surprised and kind of not so engaged at that point. Oh, yes, I was definitely listening on 1.7 at that point, too, because that was the last chapter. Second to the last chapter it was very, very near the end. I'm, I'm pointing to my treadmill because I was walking on my treadmill this morning at four o'clock when I was listening to that chapter and thought it was really interesting. And Laurie says, I skipped the entire chapter. So fascinating. So I'm always curious about this. When you skip a chapter, do you worry that you've missed like the thing that was going to make the most sense to you in the book? No. <laughs> Not at that point in the book. <laughs> like by then, you know, like if it was chapter two, then I would have probably listened, gritted my teeth and listened through it. Yeah. But, and and she was like, she, you know, if I had read her bio in advance and like, she's the, the head of a pot, you know, she's part of a podcast that's about religion. I mean, you know. I would have known, you know, I didn't look at the name of the publisher before I bought the book. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, um, yeah, you know, so it's not like they sold me a bill of goods and, you know, then like, you know, you know, it was it was, you know, I didn't do due diligence on it. And she was very clear at the beginning of that chapter. I have a particular faith perspective. Yeah. I don't feel I could do justice to somebody else's faith perspective. Yeah. So I'm going to give you mine. And in, in the hopes that it is going to be useful to you. And I chose, you know, I have my own thoughts and feelings. And it, especially during this particular season of the year, I was just like, I can't, I will lose my, you know, and, and I will, I will judge her harshly for it. So I'm going to back off of this chapter. Interesting. And by that point, I, I realized I wasn't going to miss anything that was essential to the, the rest of the book. Cause it was the rest of the book. Okay. See, and I thought it was very interesting that she went out of her way on so many of the chapters to be like, this is my experience. This is, this is how I think. This is how I feel. This is my perspective. This is my bias. I have examined my bias and understand that it is bias. Oh, except when she was talking about the diet and weight loss industry. It infuriated me. It infuriated me. <laughs> it did not. I had thoughts. I had so many thoughts about her very, 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 very clear bias that she didn't see because she truly feels that the diet and weight loss industry is responsible for her eating disorder. And I thought that was really a, I thought it was really fascinating that she was so self-aware in other perspectives. Like when she talked about ableism and when she talked about you know, other bodies. I thought it was very clear that she really recognized her bias. Like you said, with the religion chapter, she really recognized her bias. She clearly stated, this is how I think, this is how I feel. And also the diet industry is bad and you give people, uh, you know, eating disorders. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. There's work to be done here. There's work to be done here, Hillary. <laughs> and people really can't see their own biases, which is absolutely true. And I, I mean, I don't either. And I don't even pretend to, honestly, I often don't acknowledge them when we are having these conversations because I haven't examined so many of my own biases. It, it really is just very easy to point out somebody else's. <laughs> Sarah, go ahead. Okay. The I just listened to the religion chapter yesterday. And mm -hmm. as, a, as a Christian myself, I felt like it started off she started off by, you know, quoting, just taking bits of the Bible out of context to some extent, because you can't, 
you know, okay, you might find one verse inspiring, but you also can't just talk about that uh, by itself. Some of the things about that she said about those verses um, were were just sort of taken out of context. Like, um, I, sorry, I'm not very good at quoting the Bible by any means, but um, so that bothered me at the beginning of it, and then she kind of came around to some to some stuff in explaining that that your body is sort of is a temple and so is a temple for God that God dwells in you. And I did, I did like that part because I have studied that some and I, I personally agree with that, but overall I felt like a lot of you did like, why was this in here probably? And I could totally see why if you are a different religion, if you are not religious at all, why you would be like, what just happened here? (laughs) And so I, I totally see that. I see that for, for those of you who, you know, like Lori and for, um, but I agree. It wasn't that helpful of a chapter. I was just kind of like, okay. I wonder wonder if it was though, for some people, I mean, and, and this is something that I, I mean, having, having just wrestled an entire huge broad topic into a book, I have some sympathy for, for how deep and how wide she was trying to go. I feel like she had a point to make and she wanted to make it in a lot of categories. Like she wanted to say your body is good and your body is good, whether it is able or disabled, your body is good. If it is whatever color it is, your body is good. If you have religion or don't have religion, your body is good. If you, you know, eat or don't eat. Like, like I, I felt like, I felt like her her point was one thing and then she applied that across a lot of different topics and that wasn't what I was expecting. I wasn't expecting it to be applied across so many topics which is why several of the chapters seemed very surprising to me. And and I do think that that's a fair thing to maybe argue with in almost any self-help book. I mean, when you have a concept that is, let's just call it universal, a somewhat universal, you know, we all have thoughts. I mean, I could apply that anywhere. <laughs> you could apply that to a billion topics. And, and there is definitely a, a desire, I think, on the part of publishers and maybe even on the part of readers to, to broaden rather than deepen. Because I do think that any one of the chapters probably could have been deepened probably could have been an entire book in and of themselves and maybe would have been, let's call it a harder sell to have gone so deep into one thing and, or would have become even more of a, like a textbook at that point. I mean, I do think that in general self-help readers are looking for something a little bit accessible, a little bit easy. I, it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea to come at from the the lens of what publishers are looking for and what most readers are going to be looking for, as opposed to a very niche topic that, that really dives in. And Barbara says, yeah, she did pick and choose to meet her narrative. Oh, oh, specifically with the Bible quotes. Yes. I do think that, I mean, 
<laughs> that was A, the point she was making, and B, she was making the point by doing it herself, <laughs> which I always find so amusing. Like, do you see that that's a little bit ironic? <laughs> You're kind of complaining that people pick and choose to, to promote their narrative, and then you are also doing the same thing. <laughs> so fun. Um, Lori says a self-help book needs to speak to people who have never met the author before and know nothing about their point of view. And yet the author wants to go deep too to make a full argument. Yeah, it it is really, it's an interesting conundrum when writing a book to, to figure out exactly who your audience is and what they want to and need to hear what you think they need to hear because people don't need to hear anything except what they want to hear. <laughs> Amy says, I did like the story of the Good Samaritan who helped her in the accident. I found that I found that whole um, just the story in general to be really fascinating. Um, and Sally says, older self-help seems deeper than much of the newer books, which are more uh, like sound by issues and probably just um, attention. <laughs> Speaking of attention span issues, me not being able to come up with the word attention span. <laughs> attention span issues. And that is really interesting. I tell you what. I um I do not have another book for us. I wanted to wrap this up because we, we've been here for an hour. Um, I do not actually have another book um so far for the book club, and I will keep you apprised of such a thing um if, when, and how it uh, comes about. Um, but I tell you what, for my own edification, I think I'm going to go back and read that Robert Schuler book. <laughs> In part, just to just to corroborate what Sally is saying, I am very curious about self-help from the 80s versus self-help from the 2020s. I I do think that that would be an interesting like educational point to to see maybe even just a little bit of the evolution of self-help and or and or just how different a book written that long ago might read today, whether or not it still feels relevant. I think that's absolutely fascinating. I love it. Um, and Sarah says, overall, the book was fine, <laughs> but I'm not sure if it was very helpful for me personally. <laughs> you know, isn't that funny how, I mean, that's almost exactly how I would describe it too. It was fine. <laughs> I don't know if it really helped me so much, but I mean, obviously we had, I felt like this was a, a great interesting conversation. I really, I always, this is the thing that I love about book club far more than the books themselves. I really love hearing your perspectives and I love having an insight into, we all had, you know, the same experience, quote unquote, by reading the same book and such different perspectives from just how we read it, how we heard it, how we assimilated it into our own lives. And, and Sally says, thank you, ladies. I don't feel like I missed out. I'm not buying. Of course not, because you got the best part, the actual book club conversation. This is exactly what I'm saying. It's for me, it's never really about the book. It's always about being here and having the conversation with you guys that makes it feel very meaningful and interesting and and powerful for me. I love hearing your perspectives on the books that we read together. So you guys, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you were here today. Have a wonderful rest of your day. If you're getting a lot out of the Fitness Matters podcast and you're ready to take it to the next level, you're going to love the Get Your Goal Coaching and Accountability Group. We take all the theory and knowledge here on the podcast and actually apply it in real life on your real weight loss and fitness goals. It's hands-on, it's fun, and it works. Find out more at paulabfitness.com slash get dash your dash goal. And let's get your goal.